0: Men you can have a seat go ahead and grab a seat. And if you would grab your Bibles this morning, go to Genesis chapter 34 with me. Genesis chapter 34, we have much ground to cover and the clock just keeps on moving. So let me, um so I'm getting set up here, let me um, just kind of say at the onset... That this morning, even reading the story out of Genesis 34, is going to create a lot of thoughts uh, in you. Uh, Whether you read just read along, or um, if you listen to it, there's going to be a lot of things that come into your mind, and um, (laughs) a, a, a lot of rabbit trails, perhaps. And I'm certainly one for chasing rabbits. And I'm definitely going to do a lot of that this morning. But there is no way possible that I can deal with every aspect of a topic this morning that is both broad and specific. It's most certainly destructive. And so there is, and I just need your forgiveness for that. I can't possibly deal with every aspect of this. I'm going to do my best with one thing and one thing only—that's to be faithful with the teaching of God's word. I'm going to pray that the Spirit applies it deep within your heart, and I'm going to trust that if you have questions, that you will ask them afterwards. Um, I am limited. I know that every week; it's just some weeks I'm a little more aware of it. I am limited both by time and experience this morning. So let me let me just. This is really goofy, but I feel it's important to do this. Um, there is a story. As we read through Scripture, we've been working through Genesis, there's a, there's a lot of levels of story involved in Genesis, okay? And so let me just kind of throw these, these weird rings up here in front of you, okay? So, so you've got a lot of different circles happening as you go through the story. So this morning, we're going to look at the, the story of Dinah, okay? But that's just a small, really focused, narrow aspect of what's happening because outside of the story of, of Dinah exists the story of, of Jacob, The story of Dinah is just a part of the story of Jacob. And the story of Jacob is just a small part of the story of Israel. And then as you keep going out, the story of Israel is is just a small part of the story of the Redeemer. And so as I work through Genesis with y'all, what I've tried to do is focus mostly on the big story and kind of the story of Jacob as we go through. This morning, I'm just going to tell you at the onset, intentionally, we are focusing on the story of Dinah. And then, the story of the Redeemer. I don't want there to be any mistake. Okay? We need to pray before we start. Um, If you can't tell, this one's a little different. There are far fewer young people in the room this morning. I emailed parents and gave them a heads up and let them make the decision if they wanted their children to be here. I'm going to do my best to be specific without being too specific. We walk through the story this morning. But as I read here in just a moment, there are men and women within this, within this room who have been sexually abused. And so as we walk through this morning, if that's not you, we'll thank God for his protection of you. But know that there are brothers and sisters in this room whose hearts are breaking as they remember. How they were sinned against. And my hope this morning for you, brother and sister, who has been through that, is that it doesn't just conjure up the hurt. But instead it gives you the opportunity to remember the healing. And that's what our goal is this morning. So why don't we quiet our hearts and pray just for a couple moments, and then I'll pray and we'll we'll jump in, okay? All right, Lord, this is your time. This is your family. This is, these are your children, and this is your word. So remove from the moment any silly imagination that it is about anyone or anything else. May this be completely about you. May, may our hearts enjoy the bittersweet movement of the Holy Spirit as not only he comforts us and comes alongside us right now, but, Father, as he he takes the finger of God and, and presses it on the wound, as he presses it on the sin, may we experience both the healing and the grace that's needed to make it through today. Carry this moment in a way that only you can. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because of his work on the cross, that we are even having this conversation with you. Thank you for forgiveness and justification. Thank you. Thank you that you made us one of your children. We pray for your children today, that you would do a wonderful work. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So let me, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the story. Then I'll kind of walk through the story, share some observations. Then I'm going to um, share some observations about particular characters in the story that not only observations that I have made, but actually I've reached out to a handful. I'm not going to name anybody. So if you're sitting there like, I'm not naming anybody. Um, (laughs) But I've reached out to a number of individuals within our church who who have shared with me their past and their their, uh, pain And um, I asked them just to kind of read through uh, Genesis 34 and gave them some, and they gave me some, and I'm going to share some of their insights um, from their particular uh, experience. And then I'm going to land the plane and attempt to make application for our day and age, okay? So there you go. I told you what I'm going to do. Now I'm going to do it. It's Genesis chapter 34, verse 1. Leah's daughter Dinah whom Leah bore to Jacob, went out to see some of the young women of the area. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hittite, who was the region's chieftain, saw her, he took her and he raped her. He became infatuated with Jacob's daughter Dinah. He loved the young girl and he spoke tenderly to her. Give me this girl as a wife, he told his father. Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled his daughter Dinah, but since his sons were with his livestock in the field, he remained silent until they returned. Meanwhile, Shechem's father Hamor came to speak with Jacob. Jacob's sons returned from the field when they heard about the incident, and they were deeply grieved and very angry, for Shechem had committed an outrage against Israel by raping Jacob's daughter, and such a thing should not be done." Hamor said to Jacob's sons, my, no, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as your wife, as a wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughter. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Live with us. The, the land is before you. Settle here, move about it, and acquire property on it. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Grant me this favor, and I'll give you whatever you want. Demand of me a high compensation and gift. I'll give you whatever you ask of me. Just give the girl, to be my wife. Now Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. We cannot do this thing, they said to them. Giving our sister to an uncircumcised man would be a disgrace to us. Now we will agree with you only on this condition if all of your males are circumcised as we are. Then we'll give you our daughters, take your daughters for ourselves, live with you, and become one people." But if you won't listen to us and won't become circumcised, then we'll take our daughter and we'll go. The words, and this part blows my mind, seemed good to Hamer and his son Shechem. Shechem. The young man did not delay doing this because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most important in all his father's family. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city and they spoke to the men of the city and said, these men are peaceful toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and move about in it, for indeed the region is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as our wives and give our daughters to them. But the men will only agree to live with us and be one people only on this condition if all our men are circumcised as they are. Won't their livestock, possessions, and animals just become ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will live with us. All the men who had come to the city gates listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and all those men were circumcised. And on the third day, when they were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords, went into the unsuspecting city, and killed every male. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with their swords. They took Dinah from Shechem's house and went away. Jacob's sons came to the slaughter and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their flocks, herds, donkeys, whatever was in the city and in the field. They captured all their possessions, dependents, wives, and plundered everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me. You have made me odious or stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. We're few in number. If they unite against me and attack me, I and my household are going to be destroyed. But they answered, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? So if you go back to chapter 31, I'm not going to have time to go there, but in chapter 31, Jacob is in Laban's house, and God calls him and tells him to return home. He is to return to his place called Bethel. Jacob gets all nervous when he's getting ready to meet his brother Esau, and so he devises a plan to, to try to uh, not intimidate, but manipulate and impress Esau with his possessions so that Esau might look at him favorably. And so, so Esau does look at Jacob favorably, and they, they connect. They haven't seen each other for years. It's wonderful. Esau goes ahead. Jacob says, I'll catch up to you, and goes the opposite direction because that's Jacob. But Jacob doesn't go to Bethel. It says he stops in Shechem. And so right out of the gate, you've got this daughter, Dinah, who is probably 15 or 16 years old at this point, and she ventures out into the city. And the prince of the area, his name is Shechem, which means either he was named for the land or the land was named for him. He is the most influential person in the land. Shechem sees Dinah. He seizes her. He humiliates her. He violates her. He rapes her. He says, oh, I'm so in love with you now. And he seems to think he can reassure her or probably better manipulate her by speaking romantically to her. It says that he spoke tenderly at the end of verse 3. We get a glimpse of who Shechem is in that moment, don't we? In case, in case you can't figure it out, let me help you. He's a jerk. That's exactly right. That's, and that's the pastoral version from the pulpit. so they come somebody tells Jacob verse 5 Jacob hears that Shechem had raped his daughter Dinah and he was furious right no he remained silent he doesn't speak We have no idea why until we get to the end of the story. But although he doesn't speak, his voice is heard throughout the story. Her brothers, Dinah's brothers, come in from the field when they find out what happened to Dinah, and they are beside themselves this is outrageous this is disgraceful this is a a defiant thing that should never happen you hear from the the voice of the boys the the brothers who come in from the field they let's not just pretend that these things just happen this is this is not normal this is not healthy this is not just boys being boys a man raping my sister this should never happen Daddy Hamor, Shechem's daddy, doesn't hold Shechem responsible, but instead tries to talk to Jacob and his sons and tries to talk them into a covenant. Let's let them marry together, let's let's form this bond, let's let's just be you know united now. And then you get to hear Shechem loosely translated the jerk again. Whatever, whatever you say. Just grant me this favor. I will give you whatever you want. Whatever you ask of me. Just give me this girl as my wife. I'll do whatever it takes. This this plays different when it comes out of the mouth of a young man who has treated your daughter or your sister with integrity. But when it's a young man who has violated your daughter or your sister, who has raped your daughter or your sister, and he's like, I'll do whatever it takes And so the brothers come up with a proposal. Now, we know because the narrator tells us that they come up with this proposal in a deceitful way. Hamor and Shechem are oblivious to this. The proposal is very simple. They say, listen, as, as Israel, as children of God, he has given to us a picture, a picture to remind us of his goodness, of his faithfulness of his long-suffering grace toward us and that picture is circumcision now as, as, as children of God we we can't possibly unite with you if if your young men are not circumcised as well they're not brought into that covenant as well and so then we're, we're not, no deal no deal if you don't do this we're out we're taking our sister and we're leaving but if you do follow through with the circumcisions of all your men well then we can have a deal and I'll be honest with you, I've read 18, verses 18 to 24 a number of times this week. Hamor and his son Shechem win salesmen of the century. I have absolutely no idea how they were able to pitch this idea, convince them, and then close the deal. I mean, they start off in verse 21, they're like, listen, guys, guys, have we got a plan for you? We're at peace with the, the children of Jacob. I got an idea. Let's do this. I got an idea. Let's let them move into our land. Let them do business with us. Let's, you know, we we, we have got plenty of room, and so they can kind of scatter around. We, it's not going to cramp us at all. And then and then let's let's just solidify or firm up the covenant by allowing our women to marry their men and their men to marry our women. I mean, think about it. Then then we are united with them, but in fact we are stronger, and so we get all their. St- can you imagine this? This would be amazing, wouldn't it? And all the men are like, yeah. Yeah, and I can imagine Shechem or Hamer under their breath like, yeah, it makes the whole idea of circumcision seem like nothing. (laughs) What? No, no, but think about it. We get all their stuff. (laughs) He's got to be a slimy, smooth salesman to pull this one off. And arrogant. Assuming that he could ask all the men to do that so that he could get this woman. And shockingly, they did it. And three days after they have undergone this procedure, some say that three days is the perfect time because it is the most miserable day of the healing process. Two of her brothers, Simeon and Levi, grab their swords. They go into the camp and they murder Hamar. They murder Shechem, they in fact then murder every male in the camp. It says that the other sons of Jacob then joined them and they continue the massacre and they begin to plunder and they take all of the belongings, all of the cattle, all of the flocks, all of the children, all of the women. A little bit uh, excessive. Honestly, if you think strategically... Strategically, it's a great plan. But it's tragic and heinous because what they did is they took the picture of God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's long-suffering grace towards his people. They took that picture and they used it to massacre the men. That would be like you getting revenge on your enemy by poisoning their communion. It'd be like you saying, really talking up baptism to a guy you want to get revenge on and getting in the pool and holding him under too long. Right? It's that heinous, that disgusting. Listen, Simeon and Levi the brothers, their instinct for justice is correct. Please hear that. Their instinct for justice is correct, but they were excessive. They were cruel. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Suddenly, Jacob ceases being silent. You hear his voice in verse 30, and it it actually kind of grates on you a little bit at this point. You've brought trouble on me. What have you guys done? Do you know what you just did to my reputation? How could we possibly live anywhere now? How can we make money? How how can we advance in our standing? How could you have done this to me? Hey, just for the record, what Jacob just did is victimize Dinah again. The only difference between him and Shechem is he didn't lay a hand on her. But but Jacob is way more concerned about himself, his standing, than he is his own daughter. He's supposed to be protecting her, caring for her, listening to her, trying to take care of her. And instead, what has to happen is his crazy sons have to correct him. Dad! It's not about you! Should they be able to treat Our sister, like a prostitute? And it ends. I mean, expert narration. It just ends. Just some practical lessons from each of the characters very quickly that um, I've observed and so have some of those who have helped me. And if you're here, thank you. Um, I've thanked you, but I'll thank you a hundred more times. Um, You've got the first one I'll look at is Mahor, which is Shechem's dad. I can't say a lot, but uh, he is Henry Salt. And you don't know who Henry Salt is. Let me help you. You ever watch Willy Wonka? That's Veruca's dad. I want a golden goose, daddy! Mayor, give the kid everything he ever wants. Never say no to him. Yield to his whining. Never hold him accountable. And look how it goes. Moms and dads. Let that be a lesson. A one that you don't want to have to live through. How about Shechem? Shechem, you are broken. Flowers, chocolate, proclaiming your love will not change your brokenness. There's only one thing that can change your brokenness, and that is your repentance. Your submission to being held accountable. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Ah, uh, Jacob. <laughs> Jacob, you're called to go to Bethel. You disobeyed. Your disobedience has consequences that affect more than you, Jacob. And and honestly, and I I can empathize with the silence at first. What do you say when you find out that happened to your kid? But the prolonged silence doesn't help anybody. And if Jacob had Jacob had taken leadership in this moment. He would have kept his sons from going headlong into this unguided, zealous response. What does it look like to take leadership in that moment where you don't know what to do? Listen, hey kids, I have no idea how to do this. I don't know where this leads. I don't know what tomorrow holds. What I do know is what we celebrated today. God is good. God's not done working. We we, we are going to live like Jehoshaphat in 2 Samuel chapter 20. It's my wife's favorite verse, 2 Samuel 20, verse 12, where Jehoshaphat declares before his enemies come in to, to conquer him, he just says, God, we have no idea what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's the right response. But Jacob is so overly consumed and concerned with himself, his standing, his, his own reputation. And that's, that's not abnormal for Jacob. Jacob has been that all the way along. He's so concerned about how he gets what he wants. He's got a scheme. He's got a plan. He's got to understand, oh, how am I going to protect all of these things? How am I going to preserve myself and preserve my family? And he totally overlooks the fact that God said, I got this. You do what's right. You do what's right. You follow me. You obey. Even in those moments where it's like, I'm obeying, like I'm taking the next step, and it's dark, and I don't know what lands next. God says, you do that. I've got it. I've promised you. You do what's right. I've got it. I'll do the rest. You just love your kid. I've got it. I'll carry you. Simeon and Levi, intent, 100%. Follow through, big problem. Big problem. Um, reacting in anger may be effective at bringing consequences you think other people deserve but it will always harm innocent people in the process This is why God is very clear in his word do not act in anger do not seek to bring about vengeance yourself God's vengeance will always be good and right it'll never be too much it'll never be too little let God do his job it'll be better than anything you can imagine because he is right, he is just, and he is good Dinah, I guess I'll do this part here. Yes, Dinah went out alone. That's not the smartest thing. But that does not give Shechem the right to rape you. It doesn't make it your fault, Dinah. I have been shocked at how many commentaries that I have read that have tried to hold Dinah responsible for this entire chapter, have laid the blame of her own rape at her feet, have laid the blame for Simeon and Levi's choices at her feet. Let, let Let me say this, okay? Yes, absolutely, 100%, be aware. Do not put yourself in risky situations. The problem, however, is this the real risk today, and and I'm going to, this is both a men and women um, thing that we're talking about, but I'm going to focus strictly on women right now just for this moment, okay? The real risk today isn't going out at night, it's not wearing the wrong thing, it's not being near alcohol. The real risk today has become being a woman. 80% of sexual violence occurs at the hands of someone the victim knows loves and trusts i don't care how long your pants are that's not going to protect you from sexual violence and the brokenness that is in the man who thinks you belong to him you hear that right it is not dinah's fault i can't say it any louder i mean i could but you might get mad it's not her fault This place is filled with dinas. Dinah, it's not your fault. When you doubt yourself and you think back to that horrific moment, it is not your fault. They are broken, they have sinned against you. That is not what God desires or designed. It is not your fault. What do you mean this place is filled with dinas? It is estimated that one out of every four women, one out of every four women, one out of every six men have been sexually abused or will be sexually abused. And that is a super conservative number because nobody, no, that's an overstatement. I don't want to overstate it. It's important I'm accurate on this one because very few people report it. It is the most underreported crime in the country. They're not sure by how much, obviously, but but the estimates are it could be double that. It could be one out of every two women and one out of every three men. Which means, conservatively speaking, today, sitting in this room, by the time we are done, we will have 150 diners with us. Silence is not an option. It's not an option. And, and, and whatever. You, you can try to import all of the things you hear in the news about evangelical churches and the rape culture there and the fact that they don't report things. Yes, all of that's true, heinous, and horrible, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about individuals here. Silence isn't an option. It might be appropriate to be silent for a little time as you try to comprehend and so you don't say something stupid, but long-term silence doesn't help anybody. But I don't know what to say! No kidding! If you want to love those people who are suffering, it is best that you don't pretend to have all the answers. If you want to love those who are suffering, it is best that you don't pretend to have all the answers. Moms, dads, friends, counselors, those people who are being confided in, remind those dinas that they matter. Let them know you don't know what to say. Let them know you don't know exactly what the next steps are, but you love them and you are with them and you're going to walk through this with them no matter what. Remind them that the sin done to them is not their fault. Do not tell them to keep it to themselves. Do not. They may want to. And a lot of times that's up to them. Every time I am told of something like this, my encouragement is report the crime. Every time. Do not tell them to keep it silent. It begins the victimization again. So let me deal with an elephant in the room. Well, the focus certainly for me in my preparation has been on the dinos in the room. If there are nearly 150 dinas in the room, how many shechems are there? Let me let me be very clear. If you are a shechem, repent. Don't pretend like it never happened. It happened. You sinned. Repent. And then submit yourself to the accountability and the consequences that a just judge will bring to you. What's real repentance look like? It's the story of the prodigal. It's the story of the prodigal. As he comes home, he's not walking in, like, all right, listen, I'm just going to tell dad a little. Now he walks in, he's like, Dad already knows everything. He knows he gave me a wad of cash and I blew it all. Dad, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So, so please, would you allow me just to take the lowest position in the field? Would you allow me to be the one who, who, who scrapes up the manure? Would you allow me to be the, the lowest of your servants? God, uh, pro- Dad, I will do anything you tell me to do. That's Repentance. Repentance is, I have sinned. I have sinned grievously. I have nothing to say. I have no excuses to make. Whatever consequences come, let them come. I repent in dust. I repent in ashes. I am a sinner and I need grace. There's forgiveness, Shechem. But forgiveness is not a lack of consequences. But there is forgiveness. Dinah, there's healing. There's healing. And it's not going to come through denying it. It's not going to come from pretending like nothing happened. It's not going to come from self help or or self affirmations. You don't need self positive statements. What you need is God's statements about his response to your pain. You need the truth of God. You, you You need to hear God's statements. So, what does he say? He tells us he's with us in our pain. He tells us that he mourns what happened. He doesn't minimize you. He doesn't ignore you. He hurts along with you. You've heard the phrase, the apple of my eye? You're the apple of my eye. Um, That that is an, an old, ancient, Near Eastern phrase to talk about the pupil. It's the most sensitive and precious part of the eye. God speaks... About that in Zechariah chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, when he says, For whoever touches you touches, and a lot of versions have, the apple of my eye. Whoever touches you touches the pupil of my eye. For look, I, I am raising my hand against them. I think the New Living Translation gives it a little, little clearer so we understand, particularly that last part. He says, Anyone who harms you harms my most. Precious possession, I will raise my fist to crush them. God hears. God feels. Uh, The the Psalm 55, 56, somewhere in there, he talks about you have kept track of my tossings. Think about the bed. You know, you just can't sleep. God, I know you are aware of when I can't even sleep. My tears are in a bottle. They're in your book. The tears of the one who suffers will not be forgotten. Jesus speaks hope to us. Listen, mourn. And it's okay to mourn. It's okay to grieve. The pain is real. But please hear the word of Jesus. Trouble is not the final word. Resurrection is. So here's a a passage that I have often misunderstood. Let me put this before you. It's a very familiar one. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? No, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am you may be also. Now, I've read that that passage a number of times, and every time I've read it, I've kind of looked at it like, oh, it's talking about my heavenly mansion. No, it's not. Jesus is saying, you are surrounded by trouble. You are dealing with difficulty. It hurts. The pain is real. But be assured, one day I'm coming and I'm taking you with me and I will heal every wound you've ever had. See, our hope is the fact that Jesus is not passive like Jacob. He is active. He is not silent in our trouble. He speaks. He didn't go murder others. He allowed his own blood to be shed. He's not self-focused. He came to bring healing to the sick. He came to, to mend up the broken. He came to eliminate the shame and the guilt Jesus entered your pain. He suffered shame. He was killed, not not for revenge. But he allowed his own death so that he could bear all your shame on the cross. He could offer you this, this new robe of righteousness in the place of your torn robes. He offered himself as a substitute to remove the stains that had of sin that you had committed or had been committed against you and he rose again from the grave to bring healing and to bring hope. And I know, I'm empty. I got nothing to give. Why? Why would he love me? Because grace is a love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. We talk about grace here a lot, don't we? Grace is a love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. God comes near, not because because you deserve it, because you need it. That's the picture of love. So so last week, if you were here with us last week, we had a glorious Sunday of roof-raising music, people laughing, shouting, clapping, baptisms, memberships, I mean, you name it, it happened. And what we were celebrating was the faithfulness of God that he would continue to dump his grace out on us, that that he would look at us, a broken and maimed people, and carry us into his presence and then just dump his immeasurable riches on us. I'm going to tell you that the faithfulness that we celebrated last week is the very foundation of our hope this week, that grace has pursued us and it has a name and it's Jesus, Jesus experienced shame so he could suffer along with us. But praise God, it didn't end in just his suffering. He conquered shame. He made a fool of it. And in Jesus Christ, you can know that same victory. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to pray here. As I'm praying, it's not something we do often, but we're going to do it this morning. It, if you're here and you just to have a burden in your heart that you would like to pray with someone, and, and that's really what it is, it's a time of prayer, then we have a, a number of volunteers who have made themselves available this morning, back in the back corner towards the parking lot side, that back exit by the parking lot. And after I pray, while we're singing, and I just encourage you to head to the back and, and seek someone to pray with you. Let me, let me pray, Father. Huh. Huh. You, you're the only one that knows how to move in this moment. You're, you're the only one that understands the pain, the, the heartache that, that people are experiencing right now. You're the one that knows those who are sitting here in victory already. God, I thank you for them. I thank you for the, the number of women who I've been able to speak with in the last weeks, who have experienced that victory, I pray today they would just get that fresh sense of conquering the shame, knowing they are loved, cared for, carried by the God who created them. And I pray for the one here who is still wrestling. I know there are many. Lord, I pray they would know that you are near them. And as crazy as it seems to say, the reality is at some point we reach into the absolute abyss because we can't see anything around us and you are there. Thank you. Thank you for never making us walk through things alone. Thank you for walking with us. Jesus, I pray you would serve hearts well even now. We lift this prayer to you. In Christ's precious name.